This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you that, uh, thank you, Jesus, that when you walked this earth, you didn't walk it alone, that you walked it with friends. There's something beautiful in that picture, Jesus, that you who are God— knows the importance of relationship, of friendship, of joy, of partnership. It makes the the highs even better. It makes the lows a little easier. So Lord, thank you that this summer we get to be a community that really engages and shares life and has fun together. Thank you for the talent that you brought into this church and the joy that you will bring in those moments. Lord, thank you for our Mexico team as they go. We pray over them We do pray for protection as they head into Mexico and serve. But greater than that, Lord, I pray for engagement, deep engagement with you, with the women, men, and children that they have come to partner with. Lord, would you be teaching us what it looks like to be global citizens? Would we learn as much as we teach? Would we receive as much as we give? Would you broaden our perspective on what it means to be a global family? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So they're passing those baskets. You can drop in that Start Here card. You can drop in your tithes and offerings. You can drop in your automated giving. And I wonder, if you were raised in the church, how many of you remember this song? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. Do you remember this song? And what happened next? It was like what happened in the beginning of January here at New Life. The rains came down and the floods rose up. And those rains came down and the floods rose up. And again, the rains came down and the floods rose up. But the house on the rock, what did it do? Stood firm. But then there was a foolish man. Do you remember his story? He built his house upon the sand. And the rains came down and the floods rose up. Those rains, they kept on coming down. The floods came up. It was Petaluma 2017, and the floods came up, and the house on the sand went splat. Who thought that that was a good song to teach children? Like, hey kids, let's do a bedtime song tonight. We'll call it the nightmare song. You say to your kids, don't worry, we live in California. Here's how it goes for us. And the walls went shake, and the walls went shake, and then the walls came tumbling down splat. No, that is horrible. I don't know who creates this stuff. It's just to torment parents and scare children. But you know what it comes from? It comes from a teaching of Jesus that was brilliant. Here's what Jesus said in his own words. You can't make this stuff up. And it's in your notes and it's on the screens and it's from Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, Jesus says, look at that. You know you're young if you can read that. Got those young eyes. Therefore, Jesus says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall. Why? Because its foundation was the rock. What is that foundation? Oh, it's the word of God put into practice in your life. But on the other side of that, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not 
put them into practice. It's like a foolish person who built their house upon the sand and the rains came down, the streams rose up, the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash, splat. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the people were amazed. Why? Because he taught as someone with authority. And I had to ask myself the question, what was amazing about this teaching? Do you ever stop and ask yourself that when you read the Bible and it says the people were all amazed because of his teaching and the authority that it had? Well, what's so amazing about that? And I thought, well, it is pretty brilliant when you stop to think about it. Because you and I know this from experience. We all hit storms in our life. We all will. It could be a relational storm. It could be a health storm. It could be a vocational storm. They're downsizing. You're out of a job. It could be a financial storm. We all hit storms in our life. And the brilliance of Jesus is this. And I tried to synthesize. What's he saying here? He's saying that whatever foundation you and I build our lives upon, somewhere, either consciously or subconsciously, that is the foundation that we are counting on to sustain our lives in the storms. Whatever foundation we choose to build our lives upon, when those storms come, and we all know that they do, we all know that they do, when those storms come, we are counting on that foundation to sustain our lives. Some build their foundation on their own intellectual ability. That's fine. But when the storms of life come, we're then counting on our own intellectual prowess to sustain us in those moments. And even the smartest among us only has a limited scope of experience from which to pull from when the unexpected, expected tragedies happen. Some of us place the foundation of our lives on our money. And listen, money can get us a long way. I've heard people say before, money won't make you happy. You know what? I would sure like to try. (laughs) Says who? You're insane. Listen, I've used money and it has made me extremely happy. Our 10-year anniversary, my wife and I went to Jamaica. You know what? That cost money. I was happy. So of course money can, can buy some level of happiness. Of course it can. I've heard preachers say money can't buy happiness. They're crazy and broke. That's why they're saying that. They ain't got none. Because they didn't follow Dave Ramsey's principles. Get in Financial Peace University. People write it down. Talk to me afterwards. But you know what financial viability cannot do? It cannot sustain the foundation when you get inoperable cancer. All the money in the world is not going to mend a broken heart. And Jesus is saying, whatever foundation we build on is the thing we're counting on. When the storms of life come. Politically, we watched in this election season people who had placed our hope on a certain political ideology. Did you know that since 1952, only one time has a political party held the White House for three terms since 1952? 
Here's what that means. At best, you've got an eight-year run if your foundation's on a political party. At best, you've got eight years, and then you've got four to eight years where it's not going to be. So your, our political leanings, if they're our foundation, at best, it's an eight-year term. And Jesus says, I have a better foundation. It's altogether different. It will sustain when the storms come and the floods come up and the winds blow. It will sustain your life. And we're in the series called The Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God, where I'm trying to take us below the surface to talk about what does it look like to grow spiritually, to be a spiritually mature person, to develop in our faith so that when the storms of life come, we actually can can find the foundation. So I'm not teaching on a specific topic right now or, or a relationship. or I'm trying to help us get below the surface because I believe this foundational piece of spiritual formation or development will be the foundation that is the underpinning when life happens. And part of growing with God is getting our lives on a foundation of Jesus' words. Building our life on a foundation that he promises will not crack when the storms of life come. Jesus himself says, if you want to grow spiritually, he uses the language, if you want to produce good fruit in your life, he says, remain in me. Engage with me. The word remain means keep on coming. Keep on asking. Keep on staying. Engage with me. And part of engaging with him, according to what Jesus just told us, is building our lives on a foundation of his word. The question becomes, how do we do it? Because quite honestly, if you are in your 60s and you were raised going to church, you've seen the trends that, boy, we are, as, as a people, as a culture, rewriting stories about God's word, asking questions. They're not bad questions, but we stop with deconstructing something and we never reconstruct something better. It's like counseling. If, if you go to counseling, I tell couples this and, and individuals this, if you go to counseling, most likely it's going to get worse and harder before it gets better. Why? Because you are deconstructing something that has been in order to reconstruct or build a foundation that is better. And what we're seeing more and more in, in kind of the church around this country is a deconstruction of what has been without a, a foundation of something great in the process. So I tell couples, don't get out of counseling after four weeks. You just dug up all the hard stuff. <laughs> like, it's going to be worse if you leave now. You've got to you got to rebuild on a foundation that's better. This is so important that Paul, who was a church planner, a church leader, arguably one of the most brilliant minds in all of ancient history. I mean, brilliant. Paul says that people who understand how to rightly engage with God's words in the Bible will be will have the foundation that they want. Here's what he, he says, and I love it. He's talking about a group of Christians 
in an area known as Berea. And it's from Acts chapter 17. It says, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul along with Silas, his traveling companion, to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were more noble in character than those of Thessalonica. Now, mark that down, because that, that's a nice thing to have said about you. They were more noble in character than the other people. Why? Because they received Paul's message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day, kept on coming, kept engaging every day to see if what Paul said was true. You know what the result was? Many of them came to believe, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So Paul's going around. He's planting churches. He's the most influential Christian in the world at that time. One of the most brilliant people in all of ancient history. He's not just reading the pages of the Bible. He's in the process of writing letters that would become the pages of the Bible. He's not reading commentary about what someone else said. He is writing part of the story. This is a brilliant guy. And he gets to this place where there's these Jewish people, and he starts to tell them from the Old Testament about Jesus. And what do they do? You know what they do? They pull out their smartphones and they fact check him. That's what they do. To Paul. Now, I get it if you're fact checking me. That makes sense. This is Paul. Brilliant guy. Here's what I would assume. I would assume Paul would be deeply offended. How dare you fact check me? You know nothing. I'm Paul, for goodness sake. Like, I don't know if you've heard about me. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. But Paul's not offended. Did you catch it? Paul's the opposite. Paul is impressed. Impressed by the people. He says, you have impeccable character. Why? Because you're making one of the most important decisions of your life. You are deciding the foundation upon which you will build your life. You shouldn't enter into it flippantly. You shouldn't enter into it emotively. You should enter into it with deep thought and prayer and introspection. And you should search the things I'm saying to see if they are true. And the Berean Christians did. And the result, many of them came to put their faith in Jesus. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority which is what you'd expect from someone who was fully God and fully man. And I would hope that people would say of us as a community, they have, they have good character. They are fully engaged people. They are searching the scriptures to find truth. And so part of our engagement with God and part of what we're going to do for the next three weeks or so is we're rounding a corner in this series, Contrarian's Guide. We've talked a lot about engaging with God, the importance of it. Now I want to talk specifically on three key areas on what it looks like to do it. I want to talk about how do we read the Bible in a way that searches the scriptures like the Bereans did to get the foundation. And then I'm going to talk next week about how do we know 
that God's Spirit is speaking to us. How can I tell if it's the Holy Spirit speaking or just my own thoughts or voices in my head or old tapes that are playing? Because a key part of engaging with Jesus is hearing from God. And actually, every single one of us has the ability to hear from God. We're going to talk about how. And then we're going to talk about what does it look like to express our God-given self by giving ourselves in some capacity to others. Because we all know that life is oftentimes best experienced in the context of giving myself away, not simply being a consumer. So we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to round out the series on the last week. And I know you're very interested. You're probably taking notes on all four of these weeks um, because it's going to be really good. The last week is, what is faith? What is faith? Because we're told that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So let's figure out what that thing is because we want to please God. So that's where we're going for the rest of this series. But for today, I want to talk about how to build this foundation. And I've titled this part of our message because we're talking about the Berean Christians. I've titled it Getting Our Berean On. Getting Our Berean On. That's good. <laughs> that's really good. That's so good. I used that about a year and a half ago, and it just keeps coming. The, the, the best ones, they never die. They're just reborn. Getting Our Berean on. I want to talk from that passage in Acts about how to get our Berea on. The first is this. It comes from verse 11. If we want to get our Berea on, we need to enter the journey for truth with humility. Paul says the Bereans received the message with eagerness, and they were humble. They didn't have a know-it-all attitude. I remember being in my early 20s going to a Christian conference for pastors, and this pastor said, listen, the best you can do in life is say, I'm probably right, but I might be wrong. And I thought in my early 20s, it must be so sad to be him. Because I am definitely right, and you're probably wrong if we disagree. But the more I've, I've grown, that was 13 years ago. The more I've learned, that is a helpful posture to have. I'm probably right. I might be 97% right, like likely to be right, but... I, I want to hold out that I could be wrong, that I'm missing something. You know what that does? It keeps us open-handed. It keeps us hungry. It keeps us engaging with God. Anytime we think I'm definitely right and others are wrong, including but not limited to God, we are in a dangerous place in our faith, in a dangerous place in our life. Anytime you think about your spouse and think I'm definitely right, he's probably wrong, you're in a dangerous place in your marriage. How much more important when it comes to the Bible? If we don't enter into engaging with God's word with humility, then when we get to places where we think I'm right, God's wrong, we will not do that part. We won't even engage with God about it. And then we'll build a partial foundation. And what happens when you have a partial foundation and the rains come and the winds blow? Splat. The second thing we need to do is enter into the journey for truth by understanding what the entire Bible says about a topic. We're told in the book of Hebrews that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Pierces into us. That God's word actually searches us even as we search it. But if the word of God is like a two-edged sword, then Christians individually and denominations and churches, we like to have our pet verses. This is my Bible verse. That's your Bible verse. This is my life verse. That's your life verse. If the, if the whole word of God is like a two-edged sword, then those, those individual verses, they're like prison shanks. That we use to stab each other. I watch Christians devour each other. 
because they have a few verses that are their verses. And they don't look at the whole picture of God's word. Jesus gave us 66 letters that we've come to know as our Bible. God is a big God. He's speaking a big story. It's important that we get to know all of what God says. Now, I'm not saying you have to be a Bible scholar and read every page of the Bible. I would encourage us in our journey with God more and more to engage with God's word as a whole. But I'm saying when we get into something, if we have a question about a topic, we need to look at at the whole of what God says on that topic. If you have an electronic Bible, you just do a keyword search. Then just start reading. What does God say about this? If you, have, if, if you have a paper Bible, go to the concordance. Find it. Start looking. And ask this question, what do these passages reveal about God's heart on this subject? Because quite honestly, if we want to be like the Bereans, they examined the scriptures, it says. And that is the whole of the Old Testament. They didn't examine a little bit from Genesis and a little bit from Numbers and say, okay, we got it. It says they examine the scriptures, the whole thing, the whole thing. Another great way to do it is, is when you get into the Bible, um, read the whole letter. The letters in the New Testament were meant to be read as a whole, not as pull-out verses. So when I do a Bible study, when I, when I do a teaching like on Sunday, I might pull out a few verses, but you need to know I've read the entirety of that story, of that letter. I do the hard work of eight, ten hours of study and then condense it down into 30 minutes or so so that we can actually get somewhere together. But it would be wrong of me to just grab a verse and say, well, here's a verse to throw out here. Here's a verse to throw out there. We need to look at the whole of what God says. If you get stuck, here's the next thing to do. Stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. That is always the right next step. Stick with what he says. Stick with what he shows us in his actions. We're told that Jesus is God in the flesh. John 1 says, no one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God. He's in the closest relationship with God the Father, and God has made him known. Colossians chapter 1 says this, the Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. What he's saying is Jesus has it all. And all things are being created through him and for him. If you get stuck, I think the Bible seems to be contradictory here. It seems to be saying different things in different spots. A good rule of thumb is go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. Now, don't go to one saying of Jesus. Go to all of what Jesus says. For example, in the Old Testament, there are um, stories about slavery and laws about slavery. We think, well, slavery? Is the Bible pro-slavery? Is God all about slavery? A good rule of thumb would be to look at Jesus. What does he say about people? He would say that there is an equality to all people, which means there must have been something happening in those Old Testament stories that I need to figure out more about. But really, God's heart is not for slavery. It's for the equality of all people. You know, in the Old Testament, there are laws about how to um, have multiple wives at the same time. Polygamy laws. Like, is Jesus all about polygamy? No. No, you look at Jesus, he takes us back to Genesis chapter 1 and says, lifelong committed relationship with a husband and a wife, that's my heart. Does this make sense? Stare at me blankly if it does. (laughs) Perfect. Okay, good. We're going to move on then to our final thing. 
The last thing is this. Enter the journey for truth in community. If you go back to that passage in Acts, it says, they received the message with humility. They searched the Bible. They came to believe. They, they, they. Almost all major cults have one common denominator. One person went away, said they heard from God, led a bunch of people astray. Almost all major cults. Why? Because it's easy to get led astray when you are by yourself. That is why God gives us the gift of community. So that we can rub shoulders with other people. The church is community, this large gathering. Life groups are community. They're smaller gatherings. Your ministry team, if you serve on a ministry team, that's a community. Yes, you're, you're doing this thing together. You're serving, but that is a community of Jesus followers who you're rubbing shoulders with in order to build relationships, in order to engage with him. If you don't have Christian friends, I'm telling you, ask God this week. God, would you bring some actual friends into my life? I'll tell you, for years, I had, I knew a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people. And I was friendly with a lot of people. But it's not until the last probably two and a half years that I've actually experienced friendship, which is different than being friendly. And it has made all the difference in the world for me. Some of my friends are in this room. They like to sit up front. All my friends like to sit up front so I can make sure that they're fact-checking me, make sure I'm getting it right. Because we'll be watching some basketball later and having some conversations. Go Dubs! Come on. Now you're, yeah. Yeah, let's all clap for the best basketball team. That's cool. Let's clap for the band. That's cool. How about when the sermon's over? Just remember, we're real clappy today. That's cool. That's cool. We're every one of us. I'm going to wrap this up now. We're every one of us, every one of us, in a process of unlearning and relearning, unlearning and relearning, unlearning and relearning. That's why Paul says, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. An old life is gone, a new life has started. Why? We're unlearning, we're relearning. That's why in Romans chapter 12, he says this, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Unlearning, relearning. Community is so important because it gives us a safe place to process the unlearning and the relearning as we lay a foundation that will ultimately sustain, which is what he says his word is. Those who hear my words, engage with me about them, and live accordingly, it's like a wise person who built his house upon a rock. And when, when the storms of life began to rage, and the floodwaters came up, and the winds blew against their house, it did not crumble because its foundation was the word. Friends, that's what I want for us as we continue to engage with God. And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, your first step in starting this process is to ask God to walk with you in this life. To say to God, God, I've been living here like I'm God and like you're somewhere over here. But today, God, I want to put you in your rightful place. You're my savior. You're my leader. You're my heavenly father. And I want to come here under your protection, under your leadership. I want to metaphorically come home as I'm adopted into your family. That's the beginning of this journey. 
Because when we do that, God forgives us of the sin that we have done that has hurt us and hurt others. When we do that, God begins to heal us of the pain that has been caused to us as others have perpetrated sin against us. When we do that, God gives us his Holy Spirit so that when we open up the Bible, he can reveal himself to us in there. It's not just words on a page now. This is how God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, two-edged knife, cutting through us, figuring out what's true and real. It's because the Holy Spirit is living in us, but it starts when we say yes to him. And so I want to wrap this time up by praying and giving you a chance to say yes to him. I'd say three things. One, if you're not a Christian, today could be your day. Two, if you're a Christian who's a Lone Ranger Christian, you're not experiencing everything God has for you, maybe just start praying this week, God, would you give me a few friendships? I'm tired of just being friendly. And three, maybe there's an area of your life where God has said something foundational here, but you've refused to engage with him about it because it's scary, maybe because you don't agree with him, because you're afraid of what will happen if you actually engage them in that process. Maybe for you, it's worth going back into God's word and re-engaging on that. Maybe that's your next step. I think God's got something for each of us here. Let me pray as we wrap our time. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to gather together with my friends, to think deeply, to reflect upon you, to engage with you, to engage with each other. Thank you for times to laugh. Thank you for times to share relationships. Thank you for times to practice generosity. Thank you for all the gifts that it is to be part of a church gathering. I pray for my friends who are here today who are not yet followers of you, who have not yet invited you to be their leader and their savior. Would today be the day that you would stir that in them? I pray for my friends who are walking this journey alone and maybe feel like I've tried, I've tried to form friendships and it just isn't for me. Would you help them find maybe one or two other people who are uniquely the right fit for them so that they don't have to walk on this journey alone? I pray for my friends who are here who maybe there's just an area of life that they have not yet opened the door for you to walk through. Would you give them the courage to engage with you around that this week? And Lord, again, because we won't be with our team next week, we pray together as a community for our team heading to Mexico for deep partnership with you, with a community with which we will be serving and learning and growing. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.